From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 342. Today's show is brought to you by Fitbod, Hover, and Uni Pizza Ovens. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hello, Jason Snow. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm good. I'm going to see if I can get it right this time. Jason, I have a hashtag snow talk question for you from Marley's, who asks, mm. are you a short shower person or a long shower person? Well... Unfortunately, Marley's has not given us more information about what defines short and long. Yeah, I was. Sometimes I get a question like this, and I think to myself, I will just I will put this in there because I know Jason will will bring that up because I thought it too. It's like there is no definition of short or long. No, but sometimes I like to just give you these questions and see how you define them or where you go with them. You know. Okay. Well, I. I mean, I'm sure that if I'm really running late, I can hurry up my shower. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that if my back is sore and I need to like stand under the hot water, I can I can stretch it out. But in general, this is the answer I'm going to give. In general, I my uh, shower entire shower process from beginning to end, and that starts with turning on the water, and it ends with me leaving to go to the rest of the house because I'm done and dry and clothed and everything. It's 15 minutes. So, okay. I seem, I don't know. Is that short? That feels short because I would say like 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes in the shower is long. But if you're including like everything in that 15 minutes, I don't think it's very long. Yeah. I mean, my standard, my standard shower, like there's not, there's not a lot to it. You you wash you wash yourself. You you wash your body. You wash your hair. I mm-hmm. shave. Shaving I shave in the shower. In the Little okay. tip there. Shower shaver. Shave in the shower. Uh, because it's why why because it's warm in there. Yeah. <laughs> why, why why would I shave out of the shower? That's not no not gonna happen. So uh and then and then I get out like I wash my face and then I'm I'm done and I towel off and and that's it. That's what's great about dithering um, is the 15 minute long podcast. It's yep. perfect for that. I yes. will get through a dithering yep. when I do my shower. Yep. It's definitely a good shower podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Marley for sending in that question. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer, to open an episode of Upgrade, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnowTalk or use question mark SnowTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. I have a bit of an upstream slash follow up for you, Jason. Yes. Last night, Ted Lasso picked up a trio of awards at the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, Hannah Waddingham won Best Supporting Actress in a, con- in a Comedy. Uh, Jason right. Sudeikis won for Best Actor. In this economy? In this economy? You, in you, this you economy? Exact, you did this economy? You knew I did what the I opposite. did. Uh, I, I hate that you picked that up. I thought I was going to get by. And uh, Ted Lasso, the show, won Best Comedy. So my question yeah. here, I don't know the answer to this, but it did just pop into my head. Uh, is Ted Lasso the winningest show for Apple? Like, has this won the most awards now? I think so, right? It's won five total awards. I don't know what kind of minor awards the the Critics Choice Morning awards? Show got last year, right? And, well, yeah. I mean, it depends on it depends on what le- where you draw the draw the line and all of that. But it's certainly it, it, the most or almost among the most for Apple. I, I think I think it's hard to say anything but that it's Apple's highest profile. Uh, TV show at this point. I think irrespective, though, it has 
picked up the highest profile award with the Golden Globe. Like I think right. the, the best actor in a comedy Golden Globe is better than anything that they've won. I think you know the most they got was well. I mean Jennifer Anderson won a Golden Globe last year though, right? So oh, I think she I forgot that. I think they're kind. Okay. Of, I think they're kind of tied for that. But if you add in these kind of other awards, I don't know if Ted Lasso is um, is better or, or. But certainly it's up there. Yeah, I mean, award season isn't done yet. I think Ted Lasso currently is the crown jewel, even though uh, money and profile would maybe suggest otherwise yeah. uh, up until this point. But I think the Ted Lasso marketing machine for season two, I expect to be astronomic. Uh, from I Apple. hope they figure out the, the deal with uh, merch by then. I right? really want. The deal between really Sony and Apple and everybody else. Jersey, to, big time. Yeah, they're gonna they got to have a full set of richmond kit you know get your richmond jersey get your richmond scarf Mm -hmm. all of that stuff i see a lot of notes in our document here about paramount plus oh yeah paramount plus well it came out they they changed a week ago they changed from cbs all access to paramount plus they've been loading um they've been loading content so let me back up. So we've been talking about CBS All Access for a while. That's where all the Star Trek shows are. Uh, CBS and Viacom were separate companies. Viacom owns the Paramount Movie Studio and a bunch of cable channels, Comedy Central and things like that. They were originally owned together, or at least at one point in their history, they were owned together. They were separated uh, because it was felt like the uh, the broadcast network was too old and not interesting and didn't have enough value and that the cable stuff was going to have great value if it wasn't saddled down with CBS. That didn't happen. In fact, the reverse happened. CBS turned out to be much more valuable. But because they're owned by the same people, they shoved them back together and various executives left at various points. But in the end, they shoved them back together. And uh, what they wanted was one streaming service and CBS All Access was already up and running. So the idea was they would roll all the content from Viacom into CBS All Access and rename it. And they decided to call it Paramount Plus, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is fine. I mean, other than the fact that everything is a plus, I think Paramount as a name for it is 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 perfectly fine. And they have been rolling content into it for a while. Um, I shot I saw that the the Daily Show, the regular old Daily Show started showing up in CBS All Access a few weeks ago. Like they've been the the switchover is a soft kind of switchover. Like they've been loading it with content and the service is essentially CBS all access. They, the CBS all access app just updated to become the Paramount plus app. Right. So it's built on the CBS stuff and the CBS all access software wasn't great. Like the, the Apple TV app and the iOS app, they weren't great. They were okay. They were, they were, they were lesser and they, they were missing features. Um, Paramount Plus app, I feel like it, I mean, I think it's really bad. (laughs) It's worse. I think they've taken a step back, I suspect, because there were a bunch of, they had a launch date and they had to make those features work and they had to reskin it and they had to do all all of the reorganization stuff to get it up and running on the launch date. And I understand how that kind of thing happens um, and how... They're probably they probably knew they were going to be picking up the pieces for a while, but in terms of not making a good first impression, um, the navigation kind of doesn't work very well. They do have a little set of brand tiles that are like the Disney brand tiles, right? Where it's yeah. like CBS, Comedy Central, you know, whatever their uh, their most important kind of properties are. But the navigation there isn't great. The stuff that's a level below them, it, like. 
if you click on CBS and go in, what you get is sort of featured shows and then A to Z. <laughs> That's it. Those are your mm. choices. Shows A to Z and featured shows. CBS All Access was already missing a bunch of things. Like, it doesn't have a watch list. There's a watch list on the website, but like the apps, you can't just say, I want to watch this movie later. Can you put it on my list so that I can come back and find it easily later? It doesn't have anything like that. It doesn't have the concept of following a particular TV show. Um, If you watch a particular TV show, it is smart enough to know that when the new episode of that show comes out, if you're at the end, you know, it will say, oh, the next episode is out and it'll put that in the in this for, for you kind of section. But mm-hmm. it won't let you mark uh, a particular show and say, uh, follow this show. Instead, it sort of like just does it in the context of you were watching episode three. Uh, would you like to continue as a little tile, which is not great. Um, and the ones that really got me. So like um, the daily show with Trevor Noah or the Stephen Colbert the late show with Stephen Colbert. These are our daily talk shows, right? Daily mm-hmm. comedy shows and, and talk shows. And I, I'm struck by the fact that I was watching like a Colbert from last week and it keeps telling me like, you still got the last three quarters of the Colbert from Wednesday last week. And it's like, yeah, but why aren't you showing me like it's Monday now? So it would be the Friday Just Colbert, the, but like, the next one. Right. Like if it's Tuesday, they should be like, here's last night's Colbert. Here's last night's Daily Show. And it doesn't do it. it instead, it's like, you still got that last 10 minutes of Wednesday. And like, I don't, that's not, so it, it, it's not really getting that concept for the stuff that's, that's, uh, that's daily, um, which is, which is frustrating. And then uh, the news show 60 Minutes, CBS News Show 60 Minutes, I've actually kind of gotten into watching it on CBS All Access. And the reason for that is it's a magazine show. Once a week, they do like three stories. Um, and on CBS All Access, they make the, um, uh, the the show comes onto the service, and this is still true with Paramount Plus, show comes onto the service after it's aired on the West Coast. And the idea is there is that they're kind of trying to protect their affiliates, right? So you can... Um, Otherwise, if it, if it was on on the service after it aired on the East Coast, there's 7 p.m. So at, at like 5 p.m. Pacific, I could watch it. And they're like, oh, no, we want you to watch it at 7 on your local channel. So they hold it. But one of the things I noticed is the segments they didn't hold. The segments got posted right after it aired on the East Coast. And I, was, and I didn't always get to it, but I was often like, oh, it's 7 o'clock and I'm sitting down to watch TV on Sunday night. What's on 60 Minutes? And I, I realized I could look at the segments that were, instead of waiting for it to air, I could just look at the segments and pick the segments I cared about and not watch the others. Well, <laughs> on Paramount Plus, not only are the 60-minute segments gone, which I, I, I keep feeling like it's digital. Like, should you not... I really like the idea that like you can just watch what the latest stories are and pick the stories you like. Yeah. And it's extra perplexing because they've launched a new thing called, um, I believe 60 minutes plus. Of course. (laughs) Which is, it's an interesting idea. The idea is they're going to do more stories, more 60 minute style stories, and they're going to roll them out digitally. So they're all segments. Essentially. They don't do a 60 minute. As far as I can tell, there's no 60 minutes plus show. That's an hour long. It's just, you know, they drop a segment that's 17 minutes long. Um, so they're doing it for that, but they're not doing it for the actual segments anymore. Those have disappeared, but this isn't even, and that's too bad. Like, why would you remove that feature? But the thing that really gets me about it is, um, 60 minutes, they 
you can browse the episodes, but it 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 doesn't have any season data in, so far as I can tell. So last night I wanted to look at sixty minutes. There are no segments there, so I'm like, all right, well I'll just go to the the episode when the episode drops. And uh, I look at the most recent episode in their list, and it's from like three years ago. And it turns out that they have put in uh, the that the list is sorted by episode number most recent at the top but episode number when you collapse all of the seasons that they have on the service means that they're like basically it's stuff from years ago and then you scroll back and eventually you'll find it and it's literally like there are four episode 24s there's 2021 2020 uh, 2019 and 2018 so you scroll back it's like 24 24 24 24 23 23 23 23 22 22 it's so confusing it's just terrible yeah this is an issue i've had with a tv app with a few shows where like it messes up the series the seasons and just puts all the episode numbers together in like it's absolutely perplexing thing i have this issue with the office for me i bought the whole office collection from itunes and like the first three or four seasons they just put them all in a line and irrespective of the season oh yeah that's yeah, well, so, so you know how bad that is to do yeah. that. You can't do that. It's not in order. And again, it's a it's a bug. I'm sure they'll fix it, but it it just everywhere I turned in that Paramount Plus app where they're trying to make a good impression, um, they did not make a good impression. Like, and, yeah. and knowing the old CBS app, I was struck by the regressions, and I wonder what of that is technical like well we there are things that we had to do in order to get it up on running as paramount plus that uh broke some stuff and we'll fix it like i i can understand that but i do wonder how much of that is um executives kind of monkeying with the premise that they had before um like well why are, why are there 60 minute segments take those out um but like to have it, it just they got a lot of work to do this is what i'm saying plus it doesn't even go back to the fact that they have issues with uh I think their descriptive video stuff frequently breaks and their captions are sometimes like not synced properly. And like, there's just, they got a lot of technical issues there. So they spent a lot of money on that Super Bowl ad and all the other marketing that they're doing. And I don't, uh, they should, right? But what happened to their app development? <laughs> That's my question. What happened there? Because it's not, it's not good. It's really bad. So I guess it's a shame that I'm not surprised because I feel like this is hap- just happens more often than not that like service launches and its app is bad. I feel like this is just a thing for me with the Apple TV. Um, like my long bugbear of Now TV, which is the Sky digital platform. Yeah, they updated their app completely, and it's just worse in a bunch of ways. Like it, just inexplicable things that I don't even understand. Like if I search for John Oliver, nothing. If I search for Last Week Tonight, it will find John Oliver, even though the show is called Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. It says it in text yeah. on the screen. It's like well, I don't understand how you can't like just all of the UI is terrible and none of it. It's not that it doesn't. It doesn't meet apple's conventions but it doesn't mean it's bad it's just 
it is just bad. Like it's just bad to use on the Apple TV, which tells me it would be bad to use everywhere because the problems with this application's UI, I think, would be prevalent everywhere. It's just nothing's categorized in a way that makes any sense. There is absolutely no, hey, do you want to resume this? Like none of that. It's just so, so terrible. So I understand. I can sympathize. <laughs> I just don't get it. Like the amount of money that these companies make. I just yeah. don't understand how they're not but, able to channel that into development of the the only thing that they have, which is their application. I wonder how much of it is that the executives who are making the decisions are well-versed, whether they came from this as a background or not, they're well-versed in marketing, right? In mm-hmm. image, in marketing. Mm-hmm. How's our rollout going to work? Where are we going to put our ads? What's the a mountain of entertainment? You know, they spent months getting all of their stars to record bits on green screens for them to put together for this whole ad campaign, right? Like it was, it was not a uh, halfway maneuver. It was not something that they slapped together at the last minute. There was a huge strategy over months to launch Paramount Plus, mm-hmm. and yet I, I wonder if they think in terms of getting the marketing locked down and that there's just a technical disconnect where they're like, well, you know, and the nerds will do it or, oh, and we'll, and we'll update the app. And they they don't, clearly they don't provide a level of feedback and supervision and detail over what the customer experience looks like. But this is the thing that baffles me. And I think is, I think is a mistake when you're a company like, uh, CBS Viacom and you do something like this which is clearly you missed a step because you think that the marketing is what's important and the marketing is important but the marketing has a result if you're if you do a good job which is people check out your service the product and here's another thing that I don't think they get the product is not just the shows and the movies and the and the catalog the product is the interface yep. you are you, you know you are a software company and if your software is bad and is a barrier to getting people to watch your content that's an existential problem for your company right and i think they don't take it seriously i think they think yeah it's good enough or you know the boffins are working on that how about that i i i uk'd it for you that's the, good that's what the, that's what they're saying at sky the boffins yep. are working on that boffins the, the the nerds the nerds are working on it whatever it's fine i i can get can i get a show can i play uh can i play that show okay then it's good that's enough and that's not like honestly nobody's going to choose netflix or disney plus or paramount plus based on the software. I think that's true. However, their view of it and their frustration with it and the value over time and wanting to keep them as a subscriber, I think the software is a big part of it. And and like you don't get if you can't get to your stuff. If I buy Paramount Plus because I want to see the Daily Show and and uh, the Late Show and I'm a cord cutter. And I can't I have to go hunt for them every day because they're not in the right place. You know, your your service failed. So I'm not saying it's the most important part, but I'm saying it's an integral part of your product. And it is fascinating that they get the marketing right, let's say, and they get the catalog right. Because I think the Paramount Plus catalog is pretty good in terms yes, of they got a bunch compelling. of movies. 
They got a bunch of originals. They got a bunch of uh, the content from their cable networks that they're rolling in. Like, I think that they're doing fine with that. And we can debate the specifics of it. But like, I would say it clears the bar of that they are making a a legitimate attempt to launch this thing and have it be Mm -hmm. good. And then their app is, uh, is like an afterthought. Like, I don't, it's not the end of the world. You can find stuff. You can go to the website, whatever. But like, that's, it's just a huge mistake <laughs> for them to ignore it like they are. Uh, or, 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 and I'm sure there are people there who know it and know exactly, I'm sure the people working on it know exactly all the yeah. reasons why it's broken. The problem is that organizationally, they should have the support to not, over the last few months, as this has all been going on, they should have had the support to hire more people, to spend more money, to do whatever they needed to do to get that thing ready so that on day one, it wasn't just, is the logo there? But we want it to be really good so that the people who come through the doors on day one have a good experience with our service. And they they missed it. They blew it. It's like to bring it back, like to bring Apple into this conversation, you know, like we make fun of it. But Apple talk about customer satisfaction a lot. And yep. one of the reasons Apple's customer satisfaction scores as as high as they are, it's because their products, by and large, are very nice to use because the software is well made and it interacts in a way that you expect and things don't break and it's not confusing and it's like intuitive to to use. And so it you know, whilst it isn't the necessarily the reason somebody bought the product in the first place, like when they were first coming to it, like maybe they were coming to it for a feature or they were coming to it because of a deal or because they wanted the status of having an iPhone or whatever, like if that's whatever the mindset is, they stick around and they're happy because the experience is good. And so, you know, like if somebody yep. is getting to the point where they're like, oh man, I have 10 streaming services now and I need to get rid of one of them. They may be more likely to get rid of one of the ones that fr- just frustrates them more often than not. And then maybe they try and find the content elsewhere <laughs> on the back of a truck yeah. or something. Yeah. It's uh, it's not easy, right? Like Netflix has its UI issues. Hulu used to have an atrocious UI, although it's much better now. Like it's not easy. Netflix but, is good though. Like it's not. Yeah. Perfect, well, this is the but, but right. I mean, like there, you, everybody can commit crimes in these apps, and like and, and sure. they do. Mm-hmm. But there are, I would say, there are sort of like some fundamental features in a streaming app that are not like they're not surprises, right? They're not surprises. Sure, there's. I can talk about like do do you support 4K HDR? That's a streaming service thing. HBO Max only started supporting it with Wonder Woman. CBS All Access started supporting it. There is there is some 4K stuff on there. The Stand I think is 4K HDR. That so they're starting to do that. Um, th- there's but like you have movies people want to watch, but they don't want to watch them right now. You got to have a wish list interface where you can like put it up in the queue. And that shouldn't be, well, the workaround is that you start playing it and you play the first minute and then you pause it and then it shows up in your, what you're watching. No, I don't want to do that. I want to say, add to my wish list and then come back to it later. Having the ability to subscribe to a show or say, I always want the latest of this show. Having properly displaying series and then seasons within them and episodes within them, understanding how you want to watch that show whether it's a kind of show that you start from the beginning or whether it's the kind of show where you always want the latest episode like these are not surprises in fact some of these things are things that we podcasters also have to grapple with which is like like how do what's the best way to get my content out there like 
it's not as if the content on something like Paramount Plus is different from every other streaming service. Literally, it's movies and TV shows with seasons. And and you could say, and also some of their stuff is timely content where you're going to want the most recent one because it's news or comedy, topical comedy or something like that. This is not hard. I know that the implementation details are hard, but it's not a mystery, right? It's not a surprise that yeah. there are TV shows and movies. Yeah. And so... And so we can quibble over some of the choices and some of the experiments Netflix does and all of that. But like anytime I see a streaming service that doesn't get these fundamentals right, one, my reaction is, what are you doing? (laughs) Whoa, what are you doing? But my second reaction is somebody in charge at that company doesn't think this is important. And they're wrong. And I'm sure the things they think are important are things like I said, like a good ad campaign. And a nice new animation that comes up when we our, our originals animation, you know, it's the Netflix thing, or they there's a new one for Paramount Plus, like all the Star Trek shows from CBS All Access now have a uh, now have a new Paramount Plus originals. Like somebody workshop that, somebody art directed that, and somebody was like, oh yeah, we got to do that. I want to prove that. Um, and then for the app, they're like, bah, whatever. I I, I don't. I understand why it happens, but it's just a colossal error, and it it's not. It, it's not a mystery. It's it's obvious. Everybody has to do it. So it always just blows my mind when I see enormous m- companies with lots of money where it's kind of the future of the business to do this. And then they just half-ass this. It's, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, good luck to Paramount+. Plus. I just want to watch my Stephen Colbert in my 60 Minutes now. Thank you. Goodbye. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Uni Pizza Ovens. Uni is the world's number one pizza oven company. They make surprisingly small ovens that are powered by your choice of either wood, charcoal, or gas, letting you make restaurant-quality pizza in your own backyard. And they are so easy to use and incredibly portable. They'll fit into any outside space, and Uni Pizza Ovens can reach temperatures of up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit, 500 degrees Celsius, enabling you to cook restaurant-quality pizza in as little as 60 seconds. One of their most popular models is the Unicoda 16. This is a gas-powered oven that can cook up to 16-inch pizzas and has an innovative L-shaped burner at the back that gives you even heat distribution. And the high temperatures that Uni pizza ovens can reach is what separates them from what you can make in a regular home oven. Uni pizza ovens start at just $299 and they have free shipping to the US, UK, and EU. They have two fantastic models. Two of their coolest models, I should say, are the Unicaru, which which uses wood, charcoal, or gas, so you can choose, or the Unicoda 16, as I just mentioned. I think you mean hottest models, Mike. Oh, I like it. That's very good, because they get really hot. That's the whole thing. They get really, really hot, yeah. How hot did I get, Jason? Uh, really hot. Like you, I, I've cooked a pizza in my uni in, in like 60 seconds or a, like a minute and a half. It's it's uh it's really fast that's the beauty of it so the base of it is like a pizza stone basically Mm -hmm. the base of the oven is its own pizza stone so it's um absorbing the heat so you let it get really hot um so it's going to cook the 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 dough as the crust really fast and then the top it's like a broiler so it's going to make uh the cheese and the toppings and whatever all bubbly And it does it in almost no time because, you know, in my oven, when I cook pizza in my oven, it's 500 degrees Fahrenheit. uh, And that's as hot as it gets. And it's in there for like 11 minutes. But that's the beauty of a traditional kind of wood-fired pizza oven or something like uni where 
because you can get it so much hotter it changes the way you cook and it allows you to make a pizza that the kind of which you would get in a pizza restaurant where they've got a big wood-fired oven and it's super hot that you can't do in your oven your regular oven at home so it's just it's a totally different kind of feel it's a little blackened around the edges and bubbly on top and it's it's great Listeners of this show can get 10% off their purchase of an Uni Pizza oven, which could be up to $50 on the code of 16. Go to uni.com and use the code UPGRADE21 at checkout. When you're there, you'll also find a great range of accessories from peels to cutters to oven tables. So many people making pizza at home right now. It's a big lockdown activity, and this is the perfect tool for that job. It also explains why Uni Pizza Ovens are in such high demand, so don't miss out. Go and check them out for yourself. Uni Pizza Ovens are the best way to bring restaurant-quality pizza to your own backyard. Just go to uni.com, that's O-O-N-I.com, and use the code UPGRADE21. That's UPGRADE21 for 10% off. Our thanks to Uni Pizza Ovens for their support of this show and Relay FM. Yum, yum, yum. Jason, did you see the 12 South Hoverbar duo pop up last week? I did. I did. I actually sent a note to my contact at 12 South saying, uh, can I get a re- review unit of that? Because I, and I actually dropped the, uh, the, the card that I do sometimes, which, which is funny because it's basically like, I've written a lot about iPad stands. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken a lot about them on this show too. I know. And I've seen the results because, um, that, the- <laughs> there's that one company that we talked about they sold a lot of ipad stands they emailed me and they're like would you like to try any of our other products and I, my answer was basically like i really was just interested in the ipad stand <laughs> but they noticed so I, I i think we're yeah we're thought leaders in the world of ipad stands now clearly you and i so it is a uh, it's a new product from 12 South. 12 South have made lots of great Apple related products over the years. They also made a sure. candle once, which Stephen has, uh, which smells mm-hmm. like a Mac. So it is a weighted stand. Well, it is an articulated arm, um, and it has both a weighted stand and a clamp. So you actually get two options. Right. So you can either have it on a desk, or you can have it clamped to the side of a desk, or maybe to a, they show a kitchen cabinet a lot. You know, maybe you've got like a kitchen iPad and you want to hover it over there. Um, the stand itself has a little divot for the Apple Pencil, which has a little magnet in it, which is quite clever. And the arm is really adjustable. So I have one. It arrived today. Oh. Um, it's really good. It's really very good. Uh, again, I only have a day's worth of experience, but I genuinely feel like with that day's worth of experience and if something terrible happens, I could very easily recommend this as the stand to buy. Um, it is the most adjustable and flexible of any of these products that I've tried. Uh, it's really easy to get the iPad in there. It has the like the clear look style, and I guess the Viazon style, actually, of like you know, spring-loaded um, kind of gripper. Right. Right? Clamp. Um, mm-hmm. So it can actually hold all sorts of devices, and it's also future-proofed because looks really like it can get some good height too. Because that's been yep. one of the challenges I know that you had, especially is that is that sort of lower stands don't get high enough for you to like look at them straight on. And this one looks like it's got a lot of adjustability in terms of the height. Yeah, it gets easily to eye height when on a desk for me, which is exactly that's good. What I'm looking for um, has quite a lot of wobble when you tap the screen. Uh, but it's in a, a different place to other things. So in other products, I've noticed kind of the wobble being like the entire thing itself. You know, like if you tap it enough, you could maybe knock it over. What I've noticed here is if you tap the screen enough, 
basically the iPad gets a bit of a wobble. It's almost like, I mean, you would have experienced this, I'm sure, with VESA arms. You know, if you shake the desk enough, the the computer that's attached to the arm is going to get a bit of wobble in it. And it's like that. Would is this a deal breaker? No, because every single one of these products has its own foible just based on what you're doing with it. Unless this thing was like completely solid and super heavy, right? Like it, it's just there's it's so there's always going to be something. But what I do feel about the 12 South stand that I haven't felt with some other products is I can actually freely tap the iPad and not be in my head about knocking it over. So mm. I found it really strange that they didn't talk about the weight of the weight on the product page. I was concerned about that when I saw it. It's like there doesn't it just says weighted. It doesn't have a weight. And so I was like, oh, is it maybe not that heavy? Right. And so like I could end up being in a situation where this thing can't really hold itself. But that's not the case. Um it's definitely heavy enough to suspend it. What I have noticed is they show some ways that you can hold this thing where you can kind of like bring it down to the table like a drafting table which is quite clever Mm -hmm. but what i will say is on the way down to that you do lose balance of your ipad so you kind of have to really right because as you're bringing it down you're disrupting the center of gravity and if you're not holding it well enough which i wasn't the first time the ipad will take a dive right like it's trying to go like lurch forward so you have to be aware of it you know like these things that you have to remember gravity um but i would say if you are a person who wants a stand for your ipad or has a stand and you're maybe looking for something better i think this might be the best one that i've come across so far it's got a lot of flexibility it's clearly been thought through like the one thing that i can't attest to right now and this is a thing which is important over time is how does it hold up right like we've i think we both had these situations where we're using a stand it's great and then all of a sudden it just starts to droop right yep um, this one, they do include hex tools, so you can tighten the fittings on it, which is great. That's good. So, you know, so kind of like how our boom arms are on our microphones, you know, like they have all these parts so you could just tighten them up because they will loosen over time if you move them enough. So that's mm-hmm. all great, too. I think this is a good product. Uh, it's clearly well made. It's clearly well thought out. You're like, I really like the um, the 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 stand that has the pencil magnet thing in it i think that's really clever um as as like just like oh this is a well thought out thing right because they put it in there especially putting the magnet in it's like ah okay it's smart because you can't really do anything with your apple pencil you can't clip the apple pencil and the ipad into one of these things right like it doesn't work so if you are an apple pencil user you have to take it and put it somewhere right and so I I like very much that they thought that through and added a space for it. So, it's very nicely made product. Uh, if you are looking for some looking for something like this in your life, uh I think that this could be could be the one. I mean, look, it's worth I th- really think it's worth noting that these all of these products work best with an external mouse and keyboard. Right? Like yes. that's where they work best. Yeah. Um because just because of science and physics and gravity, right? Like, you know, this really, if you're going to do this, you shouldn't be tap, 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 tapping on it a lot. It, it's just not for that. Um, but to be honest, if you're not using it with a mouse and a mouse and keyboard, you probably don't need this product anyway, right? Like, I, I don't really think yeah. that this is the type of thing that you would get if you were 
using your finger on the iPad all the time because it doesn't make sense to put your iPad in this fixed stand uh, if that's what you're doing. So it's cool. I like it. I, I recommend it. Um, so if people are on the fence about this one, uh, I would say go for it if you think that this is a product a product for you. Um, I don't. What was the what's the price of it? Uh, seventy nine more than you think. They, Twelve South pricing tends to be like Apple pricing. It's always yeah. a little more than you you think, but they do make really good stuff. That's I, that, that's always been my take on the Twelve South products. Is they they sweat the details and they use high quality materials. Yep. And then somebody looks at it and says, "Why would I buy that and not this thing I could buy on Amazon for half off?" And the answer is generally, you know, you they're using higher quality materials. That's why it's heavier or it's it's uh, more rugged or whatever it is. They that's been their their hallmark. They're they're they really do aspire to sort of like Apple levels of sweating the details, um, and more often than not, succeed at that. I would say it feels like an eighty dollars stand. It feels it's like nice. it feels like a product. Like it's it's ha- it's got some heft to it. It's, it seems to be well made. An okay. adjustable, uh, like a properly adjustable iPad stand, is something that I've been looking for and have not found something like the ones that we, you and I, have talked about before. Are um, they're good, but it is sort of like th- th- some of them are slightly adjustable. Some of them are not really adjustable at all. At best, it's and, usually up down. That's it. And and right, and I've been thinking like. I want occasionally what I might want to do is push my iMac away and work on my desk on an iPad with a keyboard and the mouse. Um, and for that, I need something more adjustable than the little stands that we, that I would put like on my, on my bar top to write while standing. Like I, I need something a little more adjustable than that. Just like my iMac is adjustable. So yeah, I, I'm uh, looking forward to checking this out one way or another. I had a thought a couple of days ago. Which was always dangerous. WWDC. Because <laughs> usually around this time of year, the fracking begins. Did you see that the Fairmont Hotel closed? Yes, I had this thought, and then you uh, sent me the t- a text saying that the Fairmont has filed for bankruptcy, which is the Fairmont is where we would also, where we would stay over the last few years. Yeah, that was like the hotel that people yep. stayed at, and that people hung out in the lobby at WWDC, and they they closed and moved the guests that were in it to other hotels and said, we don't know what we're going to do. We're hoping that we can find somebody, some hotel chain, chain to buy it, which, buy it. which they will. It, it's like yeah. a really nice hotel it's in a, a nice good location. It's a big hotel right around yeah. the corner from the convention center. The only thing is but there that are says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> a few hotel chains around there. I, there might not be that many. Uh, it right. probably end up becoming a bit of a boutique hotel or something, I would expect. But anyway, but so but yeah. when you sent me this, Combined with the fact that I'd had that thought in the, in my mind, I thought I'd just start digging on dates. Because usually around this time of year, if you're traveling, especially if you're traveling internationally, you're starting to freak out about hotel rooms and flights. Right. Right. Because in March, you are three months away. And three months for an international trip can get a bit pricey, right? Like if you're doing it with that kind of t- like uh, time window. So I started looking it up. And over the last few years, Apple has typically announced WWDC's dates in the second or third week of March. So last year was on the 13th, and it was very similar the year before and the year before that. So all that is to say, maybe next week or the end of this week, if they follow typical dates, 
we'll find out when WWDC is going to be and maybe a little bit about it. So obviously, uh, I'm not expecting an in-person event. Um, We're obviously expecting a digital event, which is also why nobody is anxious because no one's thinking about flights, right? Also why the Fairmont is... uh it's why the was closing too, uh, but it, it you know it, it was kind of something that, that hit me of like oh yeah I'm not thinking about the the fact that it's March and WWDC because I don't need to think about it until June right like I don't need to really put a lot of thought or effort into WWDC until around that time, but I would expect that we're probably going to get within the next week um, just like hey WWDC's coming it's this date and maybe a little bit about what they want to do you know so like hey it's going to be like last year and we're going to expand it a little bit or whatever this is what this is what we learned i also thought that you know there's there's rumors circling of a march event coming and you know you they have, the apple tend to give about a week's notice so they'll probably want to spread all that out a little bit anyway because if there is going to be an event in march in either the of the last two Tuesdays, which is most likely, right? Either the 23rd or the 30th, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Those invites are going to have to go out of a week's notice. So could end up with a bit of a uh, back-to-back here. But yeah, it was just a thought that I had, which was funny considering maybe the last five or six years of my life that uh, March has rolled around and I wasn't keeping my eye on hotel reservation prices. Yeah, this is, uh, I think there's a, a conversation to be had about whether WWDC will ever return in physical form. Yeah. I don't know, but clearly this year it doesn't make any sense at all. I so. actually currently would put my chips in on no. Hmm. Because I don't think they would do it in person in 2022. Because I still don't think that's enough time uh, I think from a legal perspective to feel completely comfortable about having an event that you are asking people to travel to. Um, and there is still possibility that it was going to be difficult for some international travel in some way or another, even then. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of places, like even the places that are doing well in vaccinations, aren't expecting to have their entire populations vaccinated or have the ability to uh, vaccinate their entire populations until like late summer at the at the earliest, right? So maybe we're looking at to like September, October before an entire population could be vaccinated. Again, but that is provided that the populations will vaccinate themselves, right? Yeah. And so you could still end up in a situation where people that are smart and get the vaccines will be okay, but there may still be lots of people that won't be. Right, and so what? What does that do? Do you do you want to be having in person events? So I still think that twenty twenty two won't happen, and I think three years doing it this way. I I don't know if it'd be. I, that's just my. I just don't know if they would do it at that point. I really don't. Yeah. So for this year, you know, I I imagine it's going to be a replay of last year with maybe some lessons learned, but that basically they're going to do some you know big live streamed videos and then they're going to have a whole bunch of uh rollouts of of sessions that and it'll look a lot like last year yeah i I would hope that they do more right because they've had an entire year to plan right like wwc 2020 they planned that thing in like three months right yeah 
Um, yeah, well, and not- I think that you there's got to be lessons learned about like what worked and what didn't work. I've definitely heard the feedback that the um, that the interactive stuff where you could sign up for a session where they would actually like do a Zoom call or a you know whatever they use uh, Cisco WebEx uh, call where they have like office hours for people. Um, and what I heard is that people didn't use those times. That that everybody's like, oh man, with all the developers all over the world, they're going to get flooded, and you're not going to be able to talk to anybody. And my understanding is that they those sessions didn't fill up. I think because everybody assumed hmm. <laughs> that they would. Um, right. And I wonder if they've <laughs> thought about about some of that stuff, like, well, how could we do that better, and are there better ways for us to present? Because they certainly this this session, you know, this year has been planned from the start as being. Uh, entirely virtual and also planned with the knowledge of what worked and what didn't work last year. That said, I think what they did last year worked so well that I'm not entirely sure how much different it'll really feel, maybe in some of the details. But, uh, you know, my guess is that it'll be pretty, um, you know, pretty similar, at least from the outside appearance, because they, they kind of did it fine last year. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I love covering it. I have I've been covering WWDC since the 90s. <laughs> Seriously. Mm-hmm. The 90s. Oh. And last year was the best I've ever done at covering WWDC. And the reason is that I got to sit at my desk and go through the sessions. And again, I you miss out on the all of the uh, social aspects and things like that. But also you miss out on the crowds and waiting in line to go into a session and having them say it's at capacity and all those things. And instead, you, I was able to just sit down in my living room and watch sessions and take notes and write articles. And it was great. And I imagine that for other people who cover it and for other people who also attend, uh, it was great in that way. So you lose the, you lose the social part. And I don't know what's going to happen there because I do feel like a community like ours... I love that that even though it wasn't Macworld Expo anymore, right? Like that went away, but the WWDC had become like the place where the Apple community met. And I think there's value in that and I hope that doesn't go away, but that value was mostly to us and not Apple, which is why I think that you're not necessarily wrong in saying it's unlikely that they'll ever do this again. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, I wouldn't put it past them, but um, but as an event of like understanding what Apple is doing and un- getting the info straight from the people who work on this stuff at Apple, last year was the best because in previous years you would miss sessions and maybe you'd go back a few weeks later and they put the videos up and you could watch it then. But like, and they've gotten better over the years, but like last year I was able to get to see every session I wanted to see for the first time. It was amazing. I know that I need to plan better and will plan better because last year I planned horrifically and paid for it. Uh, <laughs> I so I I know what I need to do to have a a better week this year. Um like moving my other shows, right? Was I didn't do any right. of that. I did my entire stock of shows for the week and that was a terrible idea, especially because we ended up in a situation uh where we were able to interview some people from Apple. So I also want to prepare for hopeful uh, situations like that as well. So I need to leave space in my schedule, which I did not do. And it was bad. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to plan it out better this week. Um, it being at home did not mean that I had all the time still is what, what I ended up learning. That was a mistake yeah. that I made. 
This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by FitBod, the fitness app that provides a personalized exercise plan, a fitness plan that actually fits you. When it comes to fitness, FitBod believes everyone can be better. Whether you're working out three days a week or twice a day, FitBod's algorithm uses data and analytics to help you build on your previous workout so that your next workout is scientifically be proven to be better than the last. FitBod has been fine-tuned by certified personal trainers to bring the best practices of strength training to you. Your workout program will be tailored exactly to your needs, making it perfectly suited to your unique body experience, environment, and goals. Look, it can be hard to know exactly how much you should be doing while exercising, but FitBod figures it all out for you so you don't have to worry about over or under training. And it's also going to mix up muscle groups and exercise sets, reps, and weight over time to keep you on top form. And also it keeps variants. One of the things I love about FitBod is I get different things. Other exercise apps that I've used in the past, it's like, here's the same workout every day. And irrespective of the fact that this can not be great for your body, it's also really boring. Um, I like that it gives a lot of variance. You get to try out different things. And it's also full of so many different types of workouts. So it doesn't matter what kind of uh, equipment that you have, whether you have access to a gym or whether you don't, no matter if you maybe just have weights or even stuff like resistance bands, they have exercise programs for all of it. So you don't have to spend hours researching what best exercises to do or even what exercises to do. FitBot does it all for you. There's something there for any exercise routine. FitBot is available on iOS and Android, and you can get started right now by going to fitbod.me slash upgrade. You'll also get 25% off your membership when you do. That's fitbod.me slash upgrade to try out FitBod for free and get 25% off your FitBod membership. Our thanks to FitBod for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we are potentially looking at saying goodbye to one thing, but we are definitely saying goodbye to another, and that is the iMac Pro. The product page for the iMac Pro was updated a couple of days ago to say, while supplies last, and Apple has since confirmed to Mac rumors that the iMac Pro is no longer being produced, recommending people look into getting one of the 27-inch iMacs as a replacement product, or that would be the product they would recommend uh, if people wanted to buy it. Uh, As long as you don't care about the fan. Yeah, yeah. When I say replacement, I don't mean like get this instead of your iMac Pro, but like if you were looking at that product. That might be the one to get. And honestly, in, in all honesty, that sure. you know, this is something yes. that we've said for a while too, right? Like, it's a it. You would have to look at, but if you were buying a high end iMac over the yes. last year, you need to look at both of these products because the twenty seven inch iMac is better in some ways than the mm-hmm. iMac Pro. And you know, the span of iMac Pro performance is covered by high end iMacs and the Mac Pro, right? It is. It is. So you don't need an iMac Pro with a a three-year-old processor in it, you've got your Mac Pro and you've got your high-end iMacs, both of which will provide that level if you're buying a Mac at all right now in this category, which you probably shouldn't because of Apple Silicon coming down the pipe. But um, but yeah, it's true. Like the lack of updates to the iMac Pro, like they got rid of the eight-core iMac Pro because they already had sort of put it to shame and then they had another generation of new iMacs came out that were even faster and went added even more cores at the high end so yeah those high-end iMacs are incredibly powerful the the last probably intel iMacs are incredibly powerful so um makes sense right like they didn't they didn't 
need this product. I mean, this product didn't need to exist anyway. They already made it. And I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I have one. Mm-hmm. My computer is mm-hmm. an iMac Pro. Yep. I love it. But um, it it is it was meant to be the replacement for the Mac Pro because the Mac Pro was never coming back. And yep. then they changed their mind and mm-hmm. they changed direction. And then it became this very weird tweener of a product where like it's got the Xeons in it and you know but it, and it's got the great cooling in it which is great but like now we've got a Mac Pro for that and the iMacs are pretty fast so why do we have this thing in the in the middle and it, it's while it's a great product it is a product that like fell through a hole from another timeline essentially a timeline where Apple gave up on the Mac Pro and that the best they were going to do for people who really needed high end workflows was a, a fancy iMac as we said before, you wrote in your article too, I, I don't remember the last time we spoke about the iMac Pro, but it is the parallel timeline computer. It what? It really is. It, it, it only was supposed to exist when the Mac Pro didn't exist. They did the Mac Pro roundtable um, where they said the Mac Pro was going to come back. And there had already been rumors that they were going to do an iMac as a high-end thing. And then they came out and they said, okay, we're going to change and do the Mac Pro. And then like two months later, the iMac Pro got announced. Well, they, they mentioned it at that roundtable. They said they had this product, and then two months later, they showed it off. They said, we are working on an iMac for pro users. And they shipped it in December. Yeah. So yeah, so this is, this is the case where like this product was ready to go, or almost ready to go, and they changed direction. But they also knew that the Mac Pro wasn't going to ship for ages. So they, they re- went ahead and released the iMac Pro, and yep. it was a good choice for a lot of people. But um, they weren't going down that path anymore. And so over the years, it became kind of readily apparent that they weren't going to update it. Um, and they also readily apparent that they kept not updating the iMac. <laughs> yeah. And what are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? I think they're waiting for Apple Silicon, although I don't want to say for sure, because what if... Oh, what if there's an Apple Silicon iMac that comes out and it looks just like the old iMacs again? And you're like, oh boy. Are Don't we doing say this? that. Don't say are that, Jason. This? You can't are put that kind this? of thing out in the world. Oh. <laughs> so, so it, but the iMacs advanced to the point while this thing didn't get updated that it was irrelevant. And like we said um, last year at some point, I remember us having a conversation where, where basically we said they can call a high-end iMac an iMac Pro if they want, and they can make it in space gray if they want to. But especially with Apple Silicon involved, the the defining factor of the iMac Pro kind of goes out the window, right? Because mm-hmm. it was that it was using the Xeon processors that were otherwise in the, only in the Mac Pro, and it had the super uh, cooling system. And, you know, Apple Silicon changes the game in terms of what the chips are. And uh, presumably... It changes how Apple approaches cooling to a certain extent because they run cool. And also, I can't imagine that Apple is going to build an iMac for the 2020s that has a big bulgy space in it for a spinning hard drive. And that was part of the that's where they were able to build the cooling system in the iMac Pro is they threw out the spinning hard drive. So like redesign the iMac and use Apple Silicon. And at that point, like you can call something an iMac Pro if you really want to, but or or just call it a high end iMac. It doesn't really matter what you call it. It's not the 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 reason for the iMac Pro existing has vanished, right? Like they're not making more Intel processors. They're making a Mac Pro. It, they are not going to need probably the kind of cooling that it has and they're going to change the design anyway. So like why would it if it sticks around it's only because somebody gets a kick out of having a Pro 
uh, variant of the iMac and not because of any, you know, any other real connection to the existing iMac Pro. So it's a one-shot, one-shot deal. It's it's the rare one-shot Apple product. It, it appeared and then it disappeared again, and unless they reuse the name, I guess what I think this feels kind of unprecedented is a one, like a one-shot product that was actually good. I feel like, especially from listening to Twenty Max, yeah. the like G4 were Cube was a one-shot product. <laughs> but it was bad. It was a bad <laughs> computer. This is like this was a. They released it. They never updated it, and then killed it. And and there will not be another one like this. But it was an but excellent it was really machine. It was really good. So yeah. like it's, that's kind of the funny thing. And I'm genuinely, I'm I'm surprised. Well, I mean, we don't know, right? Like we don't, as we said before. One of the new Macs could be considered a professional Mac iMac, right? Like it could be, but I think, I think it's really the iMac Pro will be looked upon as a relic of its time. That this type of machine in this type of configuration, Apple just doesn't need it anymore. And I think what that would suggest is, you would hope, the next iMacs are going to smoke it, right? Well, right. I mean, it. Apple Silicon changes everything. Apple Silicon changes everything. It changes the equation of this. And even if even if they weren't redesigning the iMac, which, come on, they need to do that, uh, you wouldn't need the cooling on this thing. And the thing that differentiated it was the class of processor, which, again, it's not Intel anymore. So that's all gone. It's like, it's all, it's all gone. And they have to redefine. And this is what I think... I'm hoping we'll see this year is what does the iMac look like for the next decade? What what is the new iMac running Apple's own processors? What is that product like? And I hope we start to get an idea of that because, you know, we uh, did that interview on Upgrade about the iMac a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with a product manager. And she was talking about how, you know, it's, it's a huge right? business for was Apple. That one, I think. Uh no, it was oh Colleen Novielli. Colleen yep. Novielli, yeah. Uh, and and Colleen had some details <laughs> about just how big a business it is mm-hmm. for Apple. Like it's a it's a huge business, even just you know subset of a subset. But like the Mac business is big, and the iMac business is big. Even though laptops are primarily what Apple sells, Apple sells a lot of iMacs. It does matter. It 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 is a very important product. And they need to take it in some new directions because it's essentially the same as from basically 2007. It's essentially the same since they, uh, it, it's not that different from the first G5 iMac, but then when they went metal instead of plastic in 2007, mm-hmm. it, it's changed a little on the back and the shape of it and all that. But even that's been for almost a decade now. So it's been a long time. What, what is next? And, and so, I feel like they're just walking away from the iMac. Like they're going to keep some other iMacs, Intel iMacs around, but the iMac Pro is already three years out of date. Like there's no reason to keep it around, Mm -hmm. but the other iMacs are also going to start to fade away because there will be the new thing. And I'm excited to see what that new thing is and what a, what a, a new take on the iMac is. And, you know, my hope is that it will be, um, quite a lot different, but we don't know. We just don't know. Well, do you think there is anything 
to glean about the timing of doing this? Like, why have they done this now? I, my guess is that sales are slow because really you should be buying another thing. It's possible that they couldn't get a part or something like that. It's possible that they just want to use wherever these are being made uh, at a low volume for making something else small that they need to bro. make. <laughs> they like make they the can't they don't one. have unlimited space and how many of these can they be selling at this point? Like yeah. I know we said that about the trash can Mac Pro too, but really how many of these can they be selling? It's a three year old computer on a uh, a chip platform that Apple is abandoning. And if you really want a Xeon at this point on a Mac anyway, you should probably just buy a a Mac Pro. And if you want a fast iMac, you should just buy an Intel iMac and not an iMac Pro. Mm -hmm. So what I it's gotta be sales volume and wanting to do something else and like why it's gotta go away eventually and it's not like you're gonna replace it with something. <laughs> I, I know Apple likes to do that thing where it's like, well now the, the, we announced this new thing, the old ones fade away, right? This like this one isn't getting replaced like that. So you just have to put a stake in the ground and say No and they didn't announce it, right? They just put it up on their website while supplies last and then somebody asked and they th this means that yeah. it's gone, right? And they're like yeah, that's what I mean. Just, it's not, no, there was no press release that they're putting the uh, iMac Pro on ice, like for the G4 Cube, but uh, it's, yeah, to everything, there is a season. <laughs> and this was, the, this was its time. Does this make it more notable? Like if you were looking at, again, I know we make this joke a lot, but 30 Macs for 2030, would, <laughs> would the iMac Pro become even more likely to be on that list because it, I mean, we already, you know, I think we already spoke about the fact that, like, its birth was enough, right? Like, yeah. it why it existed, how good it was, the weird things that it did, like, the strange cooling system that it has and the innovation make it notable enough. But the fact that it goes away and potentially is the one and only iMac Pro, I guess that whole package makes it even more notable, right? Well, it's a, there is definitely a 20 Max for 2020, you know, entry kind of thing for Apple's weird two-step with the trash can Mac Pro, the iMac Pro, and then the new Mac Pro. Mm -hmm. There's a story there. And so the question would be, if I was constructing a list in five or 10 years, which Mac would I hang the story off of? Would I hang it off of the iMac Pro or would I hang it off the trash can Mac Pro? Um. Given my affection for the iMac Pro, I might choose the iMac Pro to tell that story because yeah. it's a good computer that also represents the road not taken. And I think that that is a juicier story than, hey, trash can Mac Pro, he, let's talk about all the reasons that it was a mistake, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's almost better to tell that story in the context of the iMac Pro than the other way around because yep. I, in the end I, I kind of want to tell the story it, it's not always possible sometimes you tell the story of a of a mac that's just sort of like that this was a failure um but i do like i do sort of view it as an honor to even be mentioned in the list even if you're a, honored for being a flop and so if i could choose which one to honor between the imac pro and the trash can mac pro i would absolutely choose the imac pro to tell that but i i do think that with a little bit of hindsight um, that's the that's one of the key stories of the 2010s for for Apple is is what happened with with the Mac Pro and the iMac Pro. I wonder if we'll either of us will be using ours in a year. Oh, you know the biggest problem I have with with an iMac is 
is it's so huge that you know even even with all the power i could use it as a server yeah but i but i gotta put a 27 inch screen somewhere well i'm just more what i'm saying is uh and i think you've already answered it in the way you answered that question oh yeah if we'll replace it with something else oh i can't envision that i'll, I'll still be using it in a year no yeah i think there's no way i think there's no way no my challenge is just going to be that i'm going to need to sell it to someone who's going to get a really nice fast iMac that runs on Intel mm-hmm. and that'll be fine. But that that's, that's going to be, I've already <laughs> jumped to that point, right? Which is, I'm going to need to sell it because I'm not going to keep it around and use it as a server or something. No. Um, I'm either going to sell it or I'm going to say, see if, um, if Lauren's still working at home some of the times, like you want an iMac <laughs> on, on that desk instead of your laptop. Cause we, I could put it there, but, but yeah, it, it, I can't see like already it's, it's slower than most of the things I do on the MacBook Air. So I think the issues are I'm going to need a screen and I'm going to need a, a, a fast Mac. And what does that mean? Like, are, is there an Apple display and an ex- external, you know, and another device I can use? Or is there a new iMac that I like? And is there a small iMac? But the, it's very strong. The rumors are that there's going to be a bigger iMac coming. And so do I want to wait for that? And like... But yeah, I can't envision that this iMac is going to make it to to 2022 in my on my desk. I don't just don't see. If I had a big display, a big external display, I might already be moved to the MacBook Air. Friend of the show, Ming Chi Kuo, has been doing a lot of reporting recently. A string of reports over the past couple of weeks. This time. A little bit more information about Apple's AR, mixed reality, VR stuff. Um, Some in the near and some in the very distant future. I wanted to talk about it because there's some stuff in here that's just bananas wild. Um, But there's a couple of things which are more clarifying over some of the reports that we've had in recent weeks, like that one from the information. So Quo talks about Apple having three phases for their strategy. Helmet by 2022, glasses by 2025, contact lens by 2030 to 2040. I love that range. It's it's uh, ten years from yeah. now or twenty years from now. Okay, that, that's, okay. That's the that's the question cloud with a question mark, and then <laughs> it's like Profit? then magic happens. The helmet product will be the only one of these uh, <laughs> products in the strategy to provide a VR experience as well as AR. And helmet... Calling it helmet is so weird. It's it's going to look like a Quest 2. It's going to be a headset. It's going to be a, yeah. a big headset, not glasses. I'd call it a headset, Headset not a makes more sense. I'm not, re- I'm not really sure. It, like, to be honest, helmet could have been a translation thing, honestly. Um, I don't mm-hmm. believe these reports are written in English. Um, so, you know, no. it makes sense with this one being the outlier, because if it's something that's covering your eyes and it's not see-through, which it won't be, uh, they may as well provide a VR experience here as well. And who knows, for Apple, this might not be a thing which gets superseded by glasses. Or like, you know, it, this might be something that if it works for them, they also continue making products in these realms as well i think we're all thinking about like oh this is the first step to ar glasses which is obviously where they want to go but they may also want to continue making a mixed reality headset for home use if it turns out to be something that is popular um 
Prototypes of this product currently weigh around two to 300 grams, but Apple is targeting an, a final weight of one to 200 grams. To give some context, the Oculus Quest is 500 grams. The AirPods Max are 380 grams. Uh, say a 150 gram headset seems incredibly ambitious. I find that very peculiar. Color me skeptical. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, I would yeah. genuinely expect it to have been in the range that the Quest is. So if their prototypes, yeah. current prototypes, are in the two to 300 gram, like if they ship a product that way, awesome, because that will be comf- much yeah, more comfortable. It'd be way more comfortable. Sure. If they can do that, that's, uh, that's a winner. So you remember the real shocking thing in the information's report is that this product could cost $3,000. Minchi Kuo is saying it would be aimed at 1000 Now, if that's the case, I mean, we're talking about something different now, right? Because 3000 was like, okay, nobody... That's a developer kit. Yeah. That's a HoloLens kind of uh, enterprise-only <laughs> sort of thing. But $1,000 sounds like a consumer product, right? Exactly. Sort of, and, at least. I mean, look, $1,000 is expensive. It's expensive, for sure. But our phones cost that, right? So, like, you are at least in prosumer. You know, at the very least, where three thousand dollars is like, well, the only people that should buy this are people that have a very specific actual need for it, like they're making these types of applications for future uses. Um, Quo talks about this being a portable product, not a mobile product or a mobile product. I expect what he's saying here is that, look, the processing power, everything's going to be done on device. We've heard that said by everybody, right? They're doing all of the processing on device but it's not meant for outside use. I also expect it probably doesn't have a great battery life. Like maybe you get a couple of hours on it, especially if it's that light. I don't think it has a big battery in it, right? And so maybe it will be something that most of the time you'd maybe want to have plugged in during use, but you could get a couple of hours on it maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I I keep putting it in the context of the quest where you you can play for an hour, hour and a half, and then you got to charge it. And that's what it is. And you're not going to wear it outside. And Exactly. And, and that kind of fits into the idea of portable and not mobile, right? It's like you can move around while wearing it, but you wouldn't leave the house with it. I mean, let alone the fact that you won't be able to see out of it. But <laughs> right? I know that they'll do the camera thing, but it's not going to be as good as glasses. Uh, friend of the show, another friend of the show, Steve Trump Smith, was talking about uh, if this product is to be a 2022 product, timelines you know would there be a wwdc announcement for this where they give people time to develop for it or would they do an iphone or apple watch style announcement um i think we both probably fall down in the second camp right they would do a specific event for this product and say it's coming out in however many months right because there's nothing that they're replacing i I'm going to go the other way. If I had to pick okay. one, I would say that I think there's such a developer story here that they would make a WWDC announcement that they're doing this, give some details, ask developers to write apps for it, and then say that they'll you know, give more details and, and ship it by the end of the year or early next year or something like that. But I feel like this product, because it's essentially a new product class and they're going to need developer support. And it doesn't replace anything, so there's no Osborne effect here. I think that you just announced that you're doing it. Everybody knows they're doing it already. You you tell your developer story, and then you still do an event to give the details of it. And that's and you do that when you're ready to ship right. it. So I, I think that's more likely. If they're really going to ship this 
between now and the middle of next year, then this year's WWDC actually makes the most sense to talk about it. This year? Yeah. All right. Yeah, if it's coming out second half 21 or first half 22, by the time next WWDC comes, it'll already be out, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, it, yes, if that's the timeline, then then yes. Uh, it's bold. Um Prediction. Well, I mean, the alternative is that they could do an event in the fall, but I still think it's going to be do an event, and, you know, or have it be in an event and then ship it a while later. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I mean, I think this is probably a, I reckon, second half of 2022 product. And at some point in 2022, they, I would expect, the way that I look at it is they have well, a, if, a, an event for this and they show it off. And if it's second half it's of 2022, then they show it at WWDC 2022. Because yeah. again, I, I think there's going to be a developer story here and I think they're going to want to get developers on board. Definitely. But if they, if they want to ship it in April of 22 then yes, it's possible that they won't be willing to talk about it until fall of 21 and they'll do an Apple Watch style thing mm-hmm. where they, pre- they pre-announce it. Yeah, sure. And, and say, this is going to be big and we'll check back with you in six months. So it depends on timing, I guess, is really the, really the issue there. It depends on timing because if it's ready to talk, if they're ready to talk about a WWDC, I think they will want to. If it, if, but that's if they're shipping it second half of this year. If they're shipping it next year, they'll probably talk about it this fall and then ship it next year. But I, I do think this is a product that's going to have months after it's announced before it ships because of the complexity and the fact that they, first off, they can do it because they're not replacing anything and because they're going to really want to start talking about the developer side of the story. Even if this is a, by the end of 2021, which is what Quo is referencing, right? Um, with no real feeling to it, personally, I just, I, I would, I think I would just be really surprised to see this at WWDC this year. But, uh, I know we were just talking about it, but over the next three months, who knows what leaks are going to, you know, like, and, and then I might change my mind on this completely, right? If we start seeing, like, hey, look at this stuff we found in an early build that fell off the back of a truck by a bar, you know, like, but it just, I would just be surprised um, for them to show it off because to show it off, they're they're probably going to show hardware. I, it would just surprise me. It would it would surprise me. I'm I'm not saying that uh, I don't go along with what you're saying, but for some reason, in my mind, I've just not even considered that it would be shown off uh, in June or even spoke about in June. But I guess it could. I don't know. I don't. Know. There's a lot. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. Yeah, the the glasses product um, is where like the real mobility comes in. That's like the see through experience, right? This is what we're right. all waiting for. This is a couple of years away at least. Um, and then, of course, the contact lens. I mean, I don't know. Like, I could say this. And then by twenty fifty, they're going to plant a chip in your brain. I really don't feel like for for me, this no, contact lens thing. This just feels like quo. Um, being an analyst right just yeah, either it. that or there's some you know there there's a slide that apple has in an internal thing that says uh you know ergonomic progression yeah uh headset glasses you know contacts or wearable or 
something like that, right? That where they're like, well, this is going to evolve over time, and in the in, next decade, we'll probably have contact lenses. But it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's completely meaningless. Yeah. E- even if they are investigating it now, like anything, which they should, they should be like, are there better ways to do this? Can we can we have contact lenses that do this and all that? But you know, they're talking about it's going to be nine to nineteen years from now. That's not a. <laughs> It's just not. Mm-mm. Just don't worry about it. One last thing on <laughs> on the helmet product. Uh, the we've there's been a lot of talk. We've been talking about this about a developer kit and like a three thousand dollar price tag and who is this for, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think at a thousand dollars, they would get a lot of developers because there are a lot of games available for the Oculus Quest. I can't imagine Facebook sell an astronomical amount of those no. things. No, I think you're I think you're right. The idea that they could make a story involving um uh, you know, 3D APIs for and and they've already got some of this stuff, but like to make 3D games and and 3D VR games that out of your um out of your iOS games mm-hmm. and having Apple Arcade uh they want everything that's on the Apple Arcade uh, service to support this and like putting a lot of money into getting content for these uh, for this thing. Like I could see it. I could see it. Like, and if you were a somewhat independent developer who made Oculus Quest games, provided Would you that... want to bring those to Apple's platform? Yes, yeah. please. Right. right. Like provided that you can. It's like, you know, you've potentially doubled your market share, right? Like yeah. the or like the sorry, the market share, but your market it's, reach. You know, yeah, it's not a it's not a huge category, but no. if you are writing software in that category, it's a it's uh it would be a lot of new people, right? It would presumably be an influx of some new users, even if it's not a huge success at first because it, Apple really is viewing it as a stepping stone to where they want to go. Um, and then as a developer, yeah, you would also be interested in it for being able to uh, explore where you're going to go if you believe that there's a good chance that the glasses project product is going to be a huge hit for Apple, which it might be. You never know. Yeah, and again, like, I think, again, like, so the, the glasses product would be different types of experiences. Like, the types of games wouldn't be the same, right? Because you're seeing through. So, you know, it, it, there's a lot of interesting avenues, even for a product like this. And if they are yeah. able to hit that lower price tag, I mean, I'm much more interested. Yeah, it becomes more sense as a product if it's a product that people plausibly might buy, even though it's expensive because it's from Apple and it'll do interesting things. And the the price is such a barrier that nobody's going to buy it. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a difference. And yeah, a third of the price, <laughs> a thousand instead of three thousand thousand. I mean, the Oculus Quest is a lot cheaper than that. <laughs> let's be clear. Mm-hmm. But an Apple VR product, VR slash AR product at a thousand dollars is going to get at least some uptake. Mm-hmm. And also be a sign of where Apple's going in the future, which people take very seriously. This episode is brought to you by Hover, one of Relay FM's longest running sponsors. When you have your next big idea, where do you start? Well, your business starts with a great domain name. And for many entrepreneurs, Hover is that first step. 
it is that big leap. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. So no matter what it is you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it and it's waiting for you at Hover. They have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have and they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. Hover has free who is privacy on every domain that supports it so bad guys don't get your info. They have a great user experience. It's also easy to use and they have monthly sales on popular top level domains as well. Super easy to see why Hover is the best choice for people starting businesses. For me with Hover, I have big ideas and I have small ideas, but they all need domains. And when I say small ideas, like little jokes and stuff like that. So like when we do the upgradies, I need, well, I want a URL to send people to so they can get to the voting form. So we chose upgradies.vote. Super easy to do, very simple for me to set it up and also super simple to do the forwarding. I do a lot of forwarding with Hover, so you register a domain, forward it to somewhere else, maybe to another web page that you own or something like that. And I love how easy it is to set that up. But big ideas, like if I'm working on a big project, I will go to Hover and it's like, type in the words that I'm thinking out, maybe the types of names that I'm looking at. And look, if I can't get the domains for them, I go back to the drawing board. But what I love about Hover is it's so easy for me to be able to find order the domain options. So sometimes you think, oh, can I get the .com? But they might give me another domain option that actually fits better. So like, for example, upgradies.vote. It's like, I didn't even know it was a .vote. It was awesome to get it. So really love it. I know you're going to love it too. It's so easy to use, simple, clean, easy to navigate. It's another reason to appreciate Hover. Buy your domain and start using it today. Go to hover.com slash upgrade and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That is hover.com slash upgrade. Make your name for yourself with Hover. Should we do some hashtag ask upgrade questions, Jason Snell? Sure. You don't usually ask, though. Where, where, let's ask the lasers. What do the lasers think? Lasers, is it time for some hashtag ask upgrade questions? I wondered if you were going to anthropomorphize the, the lasers, and you did. Which I guess they're cartoon lasers now. I don't know. Well, there we go. The lasers have feelings. Uh, <laughs> we've entered into a horrible, horrible, like, no, I don't like this. I don't like the potential ramifications of the lasers having feelings, but this is where we've entered. Ramon asks, sometimes you make reference to Apple people listening to your shows. Is it exciting to you that people from the company that you both enjoy so much listen to your work? Um, yeah, I I, I want to say so. Like, there's there's a- aspects to this, right? Mm-hmm. There's first, I don't I don't write or or record podcasts for people at Apple. No, right? Like that's not that's not the point. Nor do I expect that. I mean, if we did, um, the content would be really different. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Um, and and well, you know, and I also you can get uh, outside yourself a little bit and be like, I'm going to write my open letter to Tim Cook and please do this thing, right? And think that like I'm really going to change some minds at high levels at Apple using using this bully pulpit, and that that's like. No, you don't do that. Um, but the truth is that um, occasionally I feel like what I write or what I say it doesn't change things, but is used as an example by somebody who's already sort of fighting for whatever thing it is mm-hmm. that I am an advocate for. And so we're, we're kind of used as as examples of like, see, they said th- these guys are talking about this. Obviously, this is... If, you know, like like I said, this is important, right? Help help convince somebody that this is what uh, that we should do. 
Um, what I find delightful, really, is the random people working on great stuff at Apple who will come up at WWDC or who will send an email or or message me in some other way um, about doing about liking the stuff that we do. That that delights me because yep. that's the oh I work on Safari, <laughs> I work on WebKit, I work on uh, I work on the Magic Keyboard, <laughs> right and. Uh, and I listen to Upgrade or I read Six Colors or whatever. Those delight me because, again, it's the, the fact is we mostly speak to a uh, nerdy audience and uh, those people also work at Apple, too. And and so that I, I just find that fun that they're making stuff because I'm making stuff that they like, but they're obviously making stuff that I like <laughs> and use every day. And I, I don't know. I find that really delightful. So there's the one level, which is like... Uh, you know, I'm not saying that this happened, but something like it happened, which is like Phil Schiller listened to what you said and he was very disappointed in you. Right? <laughs> you can get those things. It's like, oh boy, what does this mean now? Um, and those are, they are what they are, right? The PR people are always paying attention and it, that's always been the case. It's still the case. That's just the name of the game. But there is this other level that is super delightful and it's the people who were working on Apple and they're working on stuff and they're making stuff and they... Uh, they care about this stuff too, just like we do, right? And that that is the stuff that really delights me. Honestly, is running into somebody at outside the talk show on the street in San in San Jose and having them say, "I work on WebKit, I work on Safari, uh, and I love Upgrade" or something like that. That's great because it's like I am starstruck by that yeah. and blown away that they listen to what we say or read what we write. One of my favorite interactions like that was WWDC many years ago, and I bumped into somebody uh, a live, after a live recording, and they were like, I work on a thing that you're really going to like, but I can't <laughs> tell you what it is. And then a couple of years later, this thing came out. And they messaged me and said, it was that. And I was like, you were yeah. right. <laughs> I love that feature. So that mm-hmm. kind of stuff's really fun. Um, and it, it, there is a, a, I echo everything you said. There's something really nice about it. And it's, it's, it's heartwarming to me in a way because, uh, you know, I, I, it, you know, it just, it, it means something to me from having been around, uh, being cared about this stuff for so long. Um, uh, but I do also understand that, like you're saying, sometimes you we know that things that we say can have an impact, and I take that responsibility seriously. So I continue to put right. the work in. And and it's walking that line between taking that responsibility seriously without taking yourself too seriously. Because I've definitely Correct. run into people who are like, well, you know, I'm going to write about this and that's going to go to the higher ups. and They're going to consider my opinion very seriously. And it's like, no, they're not. Come on. Maybe they will. Probably not. Don't don't write it because of that. No, right? I, you know, I don't be an advocate for the user. Be an advocate for the people who buy these products. Call them out. Um, but it's probably not going to go like you're, you're probably not in Phil Schiller's RSS reader. Um, no, no. And don't, you know, don't do that. But, but I, I will also say, I love that there are people working on Apple stuff who care about, um, this enough that they're listening to this stuff because I think that's a good sign because the alternative yep. 
is that the people who are building products at Apple, they don't care about it. It's just mm-hmm. a job. They get paid. They don't, you know, they, they, they're not listening to podcasts about what they, you know, what they work on. They're not, they don't care about other stuff that Apple is doing. They're just there. And I'm sure there are people like that, but like, I think it's a good sign that, that we've run into lots of people who work at Apple who really care about this stuff like we do. Um, because that's important. Like you need those people who care about the product working on the product. Yeah, maybe this makes me sound old. It definitely makes me feel old. But I know that I hear from and see people that are younger than me, like some cases like 10 years younger than me, who work on this stuff at Apple now. And I'm just really pleased that they have a similar care like I did when I was 10 years younger about these exact things, right? Like about apps and the way that the hardware looks and works and they get excited the same yeah. way I do because it it makes me feel like the company that I love and have built a lot of my life around continues to remain with the same kind of focus as to what I was originally interested in because the people working there now have a very similar set of sensibilities to me even though they're younger. So it's cool. Mm-hmm. Stitch asks, Electron app, web app, or abandon a service altogether for one with a native Mac app? I think this is in response to my frustration having recently started using Hey more seriously, and they have an abysmal Mac app. Like, it is literally a web app. It's just a web page. It's just a web page with an icon. But it's like, it's just really bad, right? Like, it's just like really disappointing. So I think this is the, the, the question. Do you have a particular feeling? Personally, I don't have any real upset about Electron apps. Like, it doesn't I, I have no. Me. I have no set policy here because it really is just about what the quality of the product is and what exactly. the quality of the service is. Yep. So like, I have, um, our show notes are in Gmail or in uh, Google Docs. So that's a browser. Mm-hmm. My web uh, or my uh, my mail client is Mailplane, which is literally wrapping Gmail in a Mac application wrapper. Although they add a whole bunch of stuff like keyboard shortcuts and uh, nice stuff to make it more than just in a web page. Plus, it's in Mailplane, which means that if I quit Safari, my mail doesn't go away. Which is a big. That's one of the reasons I hate working in web browsers. Is that um, it's not a one-to-one. It's like all your web is in one app. It's like, well, I don't really like that. I want it to be in different apps. And yeah, you can do site-specific browsers and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But I also use Slack and I think Slack as an app on the Mac is fine. I mean, yeah, it's probably using more power and, and memory than it should, but I'm not going to not use Slack because of that. Because in the end, if it does what I want and I like using it, then I'm going to use it. Um, so it really varies, like all things being equal, I want something when I'm on the Mac that feels like a Mac app, but that hasn't stopped me from using Google Docs and Google Sheets a lot, um, even though that's just a, a fake app that's inside a web page. So it really, you know, it really depends. I would like it if all the stuff that I use have a really good Mac app. I, I would like that. And obviously a good iPad and iPhone app. but. I don't have a, there's no litmus test there. And like, I, I try to imagine like, well, what if Slack re-implemented 
uh, itself on the Mac and built a native app, but it missed a bunch of features of Slack everywhere else. And it felt a little bit weird, yep. but it felt more Mac-like. And the answer is, I don't want that. I don't want that. I, somebody sent me an app that they were building that used the Slack API and basically was like a native version of Slack on the Mac. And I did not like how it looked. It felt weird and mm-hmm. wrong. And of course, doesn't match Slack anywhere else. And like, you know, it's, I, I don't want something like that. So it, it it varies. It's not a single continuum of, you know, what is your app built with? It is so much about how do I use it? What's the quality of your app? But a bad web page inside a wrapper I mean, is not, you know, th- there's that uh, moment where you're like, well, why, why are you doing this? Like either write an app yep. that is good yep. or don't have an app. About Those this, are your choices. Right? I stumbled across something else today. The, the, the feature it is is not important, but... This is something that blew my mind. The iOS app, which is a, I think, mostly native iOS app, at least way more native than the Mac app is native to the Mac, has features that the web app doesn't have. And I don't know how that's possible hmm. because surely this stuff is always easier to implement on the web than it is in an app. But and, they prioritized iOS app development in some way. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's really but yeah, weird I, to me. It's just, I, just very well, strange. I, I've been thinking a lot about Mailplane when I heard you talking about Hey on the Mac because I think, I mean, Mailplane is not from Google. It is from a third-party developer. But I think it's great because it gives me everything I want from the Gmail web interface and adds a sort of layer of Mac-ness on top of it. I'm like, I think that's a valid way to approach it. And I think if Hey wanted to do that and really sort of say... Look, the Hey Mac app is an interface on our web interface with Mac stuff that we've sprinkled on top. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think, though, you need to be clear. Like, what are you doing here? Are you trying to pretend that you're an app, but when you click, you realize, oh, no, it's all a lie. That's not good. Don't do that. Like, don't lie about it. Be be what you need to be, but just don't deceive your users about what you are doing. And the last question today comes from Tyler. Tyler notes that um, in the most recent beta of iOS 14.5, the the Apple logo for iPads when you boot up is now in uh, in, uh, horizontal orientation, landscape orientation, and asks the question that with something like this, do you think it's possible that Apple may change the placement of the front-facing cameras like maybe they will consider the next ipad pro to truly be a landscape first device so i first i finally saw the orientation of the apple logo in horizontal yesterday when Mm -hmm. i restarted my ipad uh which i i had i had a moment I touched the screen. I touched the apple. I was like, "Oh, look at you!" <laughs> Single <at> tear. <laughs> and then, and then it, uh, and then it, it started up, and it had the time and the and the swipe to unlock, uh, in landscape, which was great. And the uh, desktop image was uh, ninety degree rotated. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, look, you can't always get what you want. Right? It's not all the way there, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. But I don't know, like, I don't know. I don't know what, what's best ergonomically for them. Where, where I think, personally, I think maybe it's best ergonomically to have the camera be on the wide side 
because you're less likely to put your finger over it. And yes, that means it's front and center when you're holding it horizontally. But even if you're holding or yeah, even if you're holding it vertically, are your thumbs over it? <laughs> it's less likely, right? Just because there's more space and you're probably not holding it high up. You're pro- probably holding it toward the bottom, not in the mm-hmm. middle. So, I mean, if I were at Apple, I would do some ergonomic tests and like, how do, how do people hold their iPads? Because you can, you can unlock from either orientation. So it's really just about where are you less likely to cover it with your fingers? So I would do it. And maybe where it is now is the answer. I'm skeptical. I would think maybe you could move it and it would be better, but that's what I would do. Cause that's what the, the goal of this should be is just, where can I put these cameras so that people don't cover them when they're holding their iPad? Yeah, I just want it on the landscape because it, should, it would just be better for me, right? Like if I'm having a FaceTime call or a Zoom call on my iPad, everything's yeah. in landscape and it's just it would just suit better for have the way that I would look on the camera and stuff if it was done that way. But nevertheless, if you would like to send in a question for us to answer on an episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you get access to if you support this show by going to getupgradeplus.com. You sign up, you become a RelayFM member, you get all of the wonderful benefits that a RelayFM member gets, like access to our Discord and bonus content. But you also, by going to getupgradeplus.com, you get Upgrade Plus, which features ad-free episodes with bonus content every single week if you have signed up thank you so much we're very thankful for your support if you haven't go check it out Uh, i'd also like to thank our sponsors of this week's episode that's uni fitbod and hover if you want to find jason online you can go to sixcolors.com the incomparable.com he is at jsnell on twitter j-s-n-e-l-l i am at imike i-m-y-k-e before we go let me tell you about another show here on relay fm clockwise hosts dan moran and micah Sargent invite two guests every week from a diverse pool of tech professionals and cover four tech topics in 30 minutes go to relay.fm clockwise or search clockwise wherever you get your podcasts jason snell was a founding member of clockwise that's so right i'm the i'm lot. the host emeritus and co-creator of clockwise and it's a great show mm-hmm. i'm so glad they're still uh they're still doing it which host emeritus for Clockwise 30 minutes, means people. whenever one of the two hosts is on vacation, Jason is there. Again. I'm first up. <laughs> That's what you get. Keep That's watching the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I co-hosted many episodes of Clockwise with you and failed on saying that phrase every single every time. time. So Watch bad. what you say, and this is a podcast. <laughs> oh, God, it was so bad. Clockwise, as a guest... Is a fun experience, but a really stressful one, especially live clockwises. That they were always worse because you had limited time. You didn't want to give the the host too much editing work, to right? Do. But it's that, easy on another level because you get a question and you take turns. So and also anyway, you know fun, how long it's going to take you. Yeah, if you haven't listened, it's it's short, four topics, different voices. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's great little, almost bite sized podcast. It's good. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of I was going to say Clockwise, but this is Upgrade. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Keep watching the clock, Mike. (laughs) Oh, God, no. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 